Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, welcome to a very short but exciting episode of Reconsider. Brexit just happened last night. We both stayed up late watching it, with and our jaws were just hanging open the whole time. Yeah, I was out playing board games with some friends last night, and I was being very rude. I kept getting my phone out and going, oh my gosh, guys, look, 72% of precincts reporting, and it looks like vote leaves winning. And like two people were like, oh my gosh, that's crazy, and everyone else was like, okay, Xander, yeah, politics, got it. Yeah, and a, so a bunch of people asked us, okay... Guys, what, what now? Because I, you know, we live in the United States, and people are like, okay, there's going to be a vote, and it's probably going to be stay anyway, so I don't have to care that much. And not everyone has listened to our first episode on Brexit, which if you haven't, you should. But everyone said, okay, guys, what's going to happen now? Because the markets are crashing, and the pound's crashing, and I'm afraid, and what does this mean? So we're going to tell you a little bit about what, the mean, what this means. So everyone was really shocked at the outcome, the polls going into this were pretty close. You know, it was looking like it was maybe 51-49 in favor of leave, but the betting sites were really betting on Remain winning, at least 75%, depending on the betting site. So why is that? Well, part of it is that typically when there's a referendum to split off or declare independence or something, people, when they go to the polls, tend to get a little... Gun shy. Uh, you might call it cold feet. Yeah, they tend to the status quo, right? Right. And even though they're they're saying in the polls, oh yeah, independence, you know, viva la whatever, they get to the polls and like, you know what? You know what? That's a lot of instability. And they kind of have this sobering moment where they like, you know, look at, I don't know, pictures of their kids in their wallet and they decide, you know what? It's not so bad. And a future of independence seems a little uncertain and scary. And actually it's going to take a little more for me to get out. But yeah. that did not happen this time. And a big part of uh, these polls in particular, too, right, is for a while there was a pretty large percentage of folks that were polled that were undecided. And generally, those undecided folks, again, kind of veered towards status quo. So it's not like a lot of people necessarily change their minds at the last minute, although they sometimes do. It's that the people who haven't really given it a lot of thought are just like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want things changing too drastically. So for whatever reason, the betting sites were really in favor of Remain, and they just got completely wrong. So a lot of people lost a lot of money. Some people made a lot of money. 
And some of the people that lost a lot of money are shareholders in pretty much every global market. The Nikkei dropped 8%. That's the Japanese stock market. And I still can't tell you why, because Britain is far from their largest trading partner. The EU is not their largest. I mean, they trade with South Korea, the United States, and China primarily. You know, and a lot with the EU, but not that much. So they got hit harder than the UK stock market or the European stock markets. But they all took a lashing... Uh, the U.S. Dow lost something like 500 points, but then started to recover as people said, okay, it's not necessarily the end of the world. However, if you're an owner of gold, you will be happy to see the price of gold has gone up. And I feel like gold has just kind of become like, it's almost counter-cyclical at this point, right? I mean, in theory, it's a hedge against... Well, of course it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, technically, it's supposed to be like a hedge against, you know, the devaluation of fiat currency, right? But now it's just kind of goes in the opposite direction of however the market is trending in the day. And that I don't think was always the case. But anyways, if you're a gold owner, you're happy today. Right. And so just to put it in a little bit of perspective, I mean, the pound lost 7% of its value, which seems like a lot. It dropped from a dollar forty-five to like a dollar thirty-four, And it might have bounced up a little bit by the time you're reading this, or it might have gone further down. And that that's a lot for a single day. But it's also the case that before the financial crisis of 2008, the pound was worth well over two US dollars, like 210. So it's one of those things that the pound has actually been, it went through a major decline, bounced back, but then between 2010 and 2012, also lost a lot of value. So this is just, it's not like the pound was sitting there feeling super strong, and then suddenly everything went wrong. Um, this is the sort of thing that's, it's just another kind of spot on the leopard for what's going on with the United Kingdom. And their economy's not great. And it hasn't been great. They're Unemployment rate is significantly higher than the United States. GDP per capita is significantly lower. GDP growth significantly lower. Poverty rate significantly higher. I mean, it's not it's not doing great right now, which may have been what pushed some people to say, I'll bet the EU is, you know, and, and with Greece and Portugal being a bit of a drain and struggling, they may have said, ah, the EU is part of our economic woes and we want to go our own way. And of course, the EU has not responded particularly well, has it? No, the the EU is uh, taking it as you might expect they would, right? So while Boris Johnson, who basically head of the vote leave camp in the UK, has come out and said, okay, great, guys, good job. You know, David Cameron, you're you're an honorable guy. You know, politicians are always really nice to their opponents after they win. But this guy, Boris Johnson, basically said, okay, well, now that we've won, we, we can take our time with this. There's no rush. President Martin Schulz, who is president of the European, the EU parliament, basically came out and said, oh, no, 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 no. We want the UK out as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's sort of like if you go to your spouse or something and you say, hey, honey, I'm filing for divorce, but can I can I like live here for the next two years while I sort out you know, my living sitch and stuff like that? And I say, like, no, pack <laughs> your bags, get the heck out. And, like, we can still share groceries and stuff, right? And, like, the shared checking account. There's no rush there, right? Right. And so they're saying, no, get the heck out right now, or at least as fast as possible. And that's going to be, I mean, frankly, that's going to be an ugly, long road, or at least a difficult, fraught, long road. There's a lot of things that need to change. There's a lot of untangling that needs to be done. There's a lot of laws that are going to need to change pretty quickly in the United Kingdom, because a lot of the laws that they have are sort of automatically tied to EU laws right now. And they're going to have to figure out whether they just let those dissolve entirely, whether they keep some of them, whether they 
uh, do something else, you know, have some some third option. And it's going to be a little bit tough right now because the conservatives are very divided. I mean, even labor is more divided than you'd think. Uh, one third of labor voters voted for leave. The Scottish National Party was pretty united on stay. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but Britain's going to have to figure out a lot of stuff to figure out what it means to be fully independent of the European Union. Now, that said, that's happened before. I mean, a lot of countries have declared independence from much more binding situations, like not having any sovereignty at all. So this has been done before. It can be messy. It can be scary. But the path has been laid in the past, and it's not impossible. So an interesting story that's come out earlier today is about search queries, Google search queries in the UK about what exactly the EU is. If I'm, if I'm going to pull up this list here, so the top UK questions today have been, how do I vote in the EU referendum? What is Brexit? What is the EU? And what's interesting is after the, after the voting closed, search queries jumped like three times for informational searches for what exactly the EU even is. Yeah, and I know a lot of pro-state people, particularly in the United States, it seemed like the obvious thing. And a lot of them giggled or shared this on Facebook saying, oh, what idiots, you know, they voted for it and they didn't even know what they were voting for. And that is one possible interpretation of this data, that a lot of people voted to leave the European Union. And then once it happened, they said, wait, what did I just do? What are we, what's the EU? What's the, what are the implications of what I just did? So it's possible it's that, but there's two other interpretations. How can we reconsider that, Eric? How can we reconsider that? Well, one of them is that, look, 3x sounds like a big number, but it might be the case that 100 Brits per day search for what the EU is, and now it's 300, right? And so like 200 extra people the day after the EU vote searched what is the eu so it's like okay it's basically nothing so who knows because they don't actually release the actual numbers they just release the tr the relative trends over time so it could be nothing or it could be a lot of people that voted remain because they just it was the status quo they're like look i'll vote remain i know i want to stay and they said okay now that we're leaving i didn't want to leave so i didn't really study what all the implications were now that we're leaving i need to understand what's going on so there's two interpretations of this that are entirely reasonable and as much as everyone wants to like have a good clickbaity thing that makes a big stink, we actually just don't know what kinds of people are doing the search or how many. So I think it just doesn't matter. It's definitely a good point. I mean, that story cropped up more than several times on my, my Facebook feed today. And there's just different ways to interpret that data, right? Right. And the only interpretation we've seen are that the leave people are a bunch of idiots because, <laughs> it, you know, some people thought that. And what happens is, I mean, the, the bigger lesson here is that it's just a confirmation bias thing. We're so blinded yeah. by our narrative that we see extremely ambiguous data that doesn't really tell you much of anything at all. And we say, ah, that confirms exactly what I think. I know exactly how to interpret that. And it's just silly. So for anyone listening that was doing that, and I'm not going to call you out publicly, but <laughs> this is a good opportunity to think about, uh, you know, think about some of your uh, critical thinking skills and external skepticism. So, Eric, coming back to some of the economic implications that that, okay, fine. that the EU might face now, in the short term, what do we need to think about here? 
Yeah, I mean, the short term obviously looks pretty bad. So I was the guy that, you know, in Brexit 1, I said, okay, I'm going to try to figure out what the vote leave case is and why smart people support vote leave. One thing that's definitely certain is that there is some short-term bad for, and, it, and there's a short-term bad and it's lumpy. So, for example, a, there are a number of European countries, or sorry, for example, there are a number of companies in the United Kingdom, a big number, that have lots of trade with the European Union, right? So the UK imports a lot more from the EU than it exports, but as we talked about in Brexit 1, both are equally as important because if you're importing raw materials at a good price or something, then your business suffers, your productive business suffers. It's not just consumption. Um, and obviously, if you export to the EU and it's harder to access that market, then your business suffers. So there's a lot of businesses that are going to have a really hard time while the EU figures out what its trade deal is going to look like. Similarly, financial centers or financial companies in London may be suffering as well. Again, harder to access capital in the European Union and harder to just tr you know, trade that money willy-nilly um, or invest that money wherever they want. But it's also the case that London was the financial center of Europe. And now that it's kind of not so much part of Europe, a lot of the finance industry is likely to move to either Frankfurt or Paris or something like that. I'm sure Brussels will try to get its you know, itself in there too. The financial sector of the United Kingdom is likely to shrink in the short term. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about UK financial institutions is interesting because while all markets took a hit today, you might be able to think about the decline in valuation of some of the financial companies based in the UK as a fundamental reevaluation of the business at this point because the environment's changed so much and there are so many uncertainties that are going to be resolved around uh, or are related about, you know, what securities that were easy to sell from UK to EU, can they still be sold through the same mechanisms? You know, will capital reserve requirements change? So I think we're going to see financial institutions hit particularly hard and, we well, we just really don't know what they're going to be worth at the end of this. And then, of course, the pounds tanking, which has a number of trade and capital flow implications. But on the plus side, if you're planning a vacation to the UK right now, then you're going to enjoy a cheaper trip. So shout out to Dale and Luke. Enjoy your cheaper trip to Ireland. I hope you come back with more scotch than you were planning to. Not scotch. <sighs> Whiskey. I hope you come back with more Irish whiskey than you were planning to. I like red breast, but I'm open to try new things. And shout out to all of my uh, war, my tabletop wargaming buddies who buy stuff from Games Workshop and Forge World. Now is the time to hop on with that cheap pound and stimulate the British economy by uh, buying some minis from them. And that's one of the interesting things, right? Is that what's actually going to happen with a slightly lower pound? is it becomes easier for Britain to export to other countries. Now, I wouldn't exactly call this a boon that's going to make up for the loss of access to the European market, but, hey, it's one of the market's ways of adjusting in, a, you know, in an efficient way based on the political changes that happened. These are some of the immediate implications that we're already seeing. What about the longer term? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, 
that all depends on what the next government can pull. The next government might be led by Boris Johnson. Uh, even though Cameron's stepping down, he's not calling for an election because the conservatives were elected on the platform of we're going to hold the referendum and whatever you guys vote, we're going to do it. And they had the referendum. So the conservatives haven't done anything that makes them think, OK, we need a new government. But Cameron doesn't want to be taking the reins for something that he doesn't support. Boris Johnson might end up being the next prime minister. Who knows? But whoever that next prime minister is come October is going to have to figure out how to get the United Kingdom the trade deals it wants. A lot of the pro-leave people want trade deals with India, Japan, and the United States. Uh, Japan and the United States being two of the three biggest economies in the world. They also want some sort of trade deal with China, uh, sort of like TPP style. And there's the belief that an independent United Kingdom can can negotiate those trade deals more easily because it doesn't have to consult the other 26 nations of the European Union. So who knows if they can pull that off? If they can, it's going to be different. I don't know if it'll be better. I don't know if it'll be worse, uh, but it would certainly be better than if they didn't pull it off. Trouble is, who knows? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. The thing is, negotiating bilateral or trade agreements that are substantially similar to like what uh, Norway or Iceland has in EFTA is those things take a while. They're not easy. And politicians in the Eurozone are not going to be inclined to be helpful to the UK no? right now. No, I don't think so. Hey, honey, can we get a divorce? Hey, um, you want to go pick up dinner for me, right? Well, does it sound, is it just petty? Are they just being petty or is there something to it? It's not just petty, right? Because the problem that Eurozone politicians are facing right now is, oh man, what if there is a more general flight on the European project, on the EU? What if other countries want to leave now? So there's this document that was leaked that was describing uh, basically sort of a contingency plan that Germany had if Brexit were to occur. Which it did. So, yeah, the referendum is – Brexit is occurring. And basically this document suggested that Germany would attempt to drive a really hard bargain, right? So the UK would attempt to re-enter the single market in some capacity. And basically Germany is saying in this leaked document, you know, there will be no automatic access. It is not going to be easy for you to get back in. And the point of this is to act as a disincentive to other countries from going through with similar measures. I think the thing they actually said was, 
there will be no easy access to the market. And and then there's a cue to play Ramstein in the document, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think it's Rammstein. Uh, sorry, my, my German accent is not what it used to be. It's okay. So I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine this morning who's in real estate land. He works at a big real estate private equity fund. And we were kind of chatting about what top of our heads, what we think some of the long-term implications could be like on the economic side, on the financial side. And something interesting that my friend said was, you know, as capital flows out of the United Kingdom to seek safer places, to the extent that that capital ends up in the United States, you might actually see an increase in some types of asset classes, some commercial uh, property. Yeah. Um, this is not financial advice. It's just, you know, two guys kind of shooting the shit on a, uh, on a Friday morning. So that's not financial advice, but capital will move and it has already affected the relative strength of the pound versus the U S dollar. There's probably a good chance that a lot of that capital will come to the U S because that's kind of like the safe haven really to go in the Western world right now. And there's all of a sudden a lot more risk in, in the Eurozone. So that's, that's one thing. And another thing is, you know, since there is so much economic uncertainty now in all of Europe, and since we live in a globalized world and European economics affects American economics, it seems increasingly likely that rates are going to stay low in the U.S. And this is kind of a big deal because for a while, Fed Chairman Yellen was basically indicating that, you know, at some point in the not too distant future, we're going to need to start raising rates again. And it, it seems increasingly, well, it seems less likely at this point that that's going to be the case. Now, the one thing I want to leave off on the economic section here is a something I've harped on before that I want everyone to think about. Certainly in my anecdotal experience, there are a lot of people that are sort of rolling their eyes or they feel incredulous that, why would why would the United Kingdom want to lose access to free trade and free flow of labor capital and goods? I mean, it just this free trade thing seems like such a great idea. Why would they possibly give it up? And these are the same folks that a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago were saying free trade agreements like the TPP, the TTIP, and NAFTA are all terrible. They're all bad ideas. How could you possibly think that you'd want something like this? I mean, they're awful. So... I just Now, it's possible that all these folks have read into the highly intricate details of each of these trade agreements to understand the minute differences between them and are able to articulate why one of them is good and one of them is not. Uh, if so, please write, because I don't know. You can contact us at ReconsiderPod or Facebook.com slash ReconsiderPod uh, or email us at Eric or Xander at ReconsiderMedia.com. Uh, so if you know, great, but I suspect a lot of people don't. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, the, the Brits are idiots, but God, the TTIP or the TPP or NAFTA are terrible. Uh, I just want you to think about why, what's different about them, and take a moment to reconsider your thoughts on free trade. Certainly something to consider. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've touched on some of the economic or the potential economic implications, right? Because ultimately, no one knows how this is going to play out. What about the geopolitical side? So Vladimir Putin over in Russia, I believe right now is rubbing his hands with glee 
If he had a mustache, he would be waxing it right now. <laughs> why? Why doesn't Putin have a mustache? I feel like that would be such know. a perfect. It's too Prussian. It's oh right, 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 right. Uh, too Prussian. Too Prussian. He might be waxing his forehead. <laughs> anyway, um, Putin's happy. Putin's happy, right? Because basically, ever since he got in power, and not just this time that he's in power, but the prior time that he was he was in power, he's been trying to disrupt the post-Cold War order that has existed in, in Europe. And, you know, long story short, basically, with Gorbachev's reforms in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, Russian, some people would say that Russian sentiment was basically, you know, along the lines of, okay, well, you know, we'll go through these reforms and the U.S. will support us. But they were expecting to be treated more as an equal partner in sort of this global order business. And they just really haven't been. So part of the reason Putin is so well-liked in Russia is because he's basically the guy coming out and saying, look, we got a raw deal. We weren't treated the way that they said we were going to be traded. Um, and we're going to stand for it. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, screw those guys. Make Russia great again. Uh, make Russia great again. So that, that's been one of, one of his big geopolitical strategy goals. And now all of a sudden the part of the Western world that borders Russia is appearing increasingly fractured at a time when aggression, uh, aggression, Russia is appearing. Aggression. I love it. <laughs> it's a mix of Prussia, Russia, and aggression. 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 So all this is happening at a time when Russia is increasingly aggressive in Ukraine and Syria and all You that. might call it aggression. Aggression. <laughs> I really hope people start using that word. Yep, you heard it first here. So that that's that's what's going on Eastern Europe. What about within the UK and how that relates to the rest of Europe? Well, you mean like the Scots? Like the Scots? God, if we have Scottish listeners, they're going to be so mad at me right now. <laughs> but I'm sticking to my guns. We're not cutting that one out. So the Scots they had a referendum last year to think about leaving the European Union. Oh, sorry, to leave the United Kingdom and. They voted no, 55-45. So it was less close. Uh, but they said, all right, fine, we're going to stay. Sounds kind of, you know, sounds a little crazy. It, we'd have all this debt. What would we do with it? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that could be going on with Scotland declaring independence that would be financially, you might say, financially turmoilsome and uh, dangerous to it. And it might be lead to capital outflows and all sorts of other stuff. And But the thing is, the Scots don't want to lose access to the EU. In fact, while England and Wales voted somewhat slightly to to Brexit, the Scots and Northern Irish voted fairly overwhelmingly to stay. Yeah. And they are not happy. And remember that the people in charge of Scotland right now, the Scottish Nationalist Party or Scottish National Party, and they're saying, F this, we'd rather be in the European Union as an independent country than stuck adrift on a bloody cold island alone with England and Wales, those jerks. So they're considering another referendum to get the heck out and then rejoin the European Union. I mean, it's bonkers. Yeah, and that has some security implications because the United Kingdom is a nuclear country and a big part of NATO's broader nuclear deterrent strategy relies in part on some nuclear submarines that the UK owns, which has nuclear weapons on them and these are stationed in deep water ports in scotland now scotland Ugh. yeah right see where this is going scotland doesn't like having nuclear weapons and 
I, I've read about, you know, they would basically have a plan to, within a period of a couple of years, if they were to achieve independence, basically be a nuclear-free country. So then not only does the UK need to think like, oh, okay, where do we put these things? But now it becomes an issue for NATO. So it's just one more degree of uncertainty in our deterrent strategy, again, at a time when we're facing aggression. Oh, wait, what was, what was the Russian term I came up with? Aggression. Aggression. At a time when we're facing aggression. Aggression from Russia. Aggression. Aggression. We're just going to keep using that, so remember. Right. Now, there's a few other folks that are making some noise. Catalonia in Spain, which uh, advocated for... I think they actually had a non-binding referendum to leave Spain, and Spain said, uh, no. It's not constitutional. Not happening. Yeah. yeah, it's just not constitutional, and the government didn't approve it. I mean, you just had a bunch of people in Catalonia that were like, we want to leave. And it was like, too bad. So, But they might be making noise again. And uh, Madrid, actually, the, the government, the seat of government in Spain, actually came out against the first Scottish referendum saying... You can't just be doing this. Yeah. It's not cool because they, of course, don't want the precedent set that, you know, that countries can just break apart willy nilly and it's fine. So they're not particularly pleased about this right now. And the Catalonians are getting are saying like, well, hey, it worked for them. Why not us? Why can't that be precedent? Yeah. Luckily, nothing like that would happen in the United States. Right. There would never be a Texit, would there? What's a Texit? A Texas. Exit. Wow, that's really hard to say. Texas exit. Oh. Say that five times fast. Texas exit. Texas exit. Te forget it. Yeah, forget it. So, what's the Texit? Well, uh, you may have heard for some time that the South will rise again. Now, they haven't gotten around to it yet, but now that the United Kingdom has left the European Union to get its sovereignty back from the tyrants in Brussels that are taking all of its money and you know telling it what it's got to do, the Texans feel similarly about Washington and because Texas is a net outflow state. So in part because of oil uh, wealth, they send a lot more money to D.C. than they get. Uh, they feel like they're getting a somewhat raw deal. And in Texas, you take two years of Texas history and the Texan flag is flown pretty much everywhere. Texas is very proud of being Texas. If you think of the United States as a confederation of independent states, kind of like an EU on overdrive, this kind of makes sense. Now, it's also the case that the United States has morphed into being a single country, a single unity, and it's a federal republic more than it is a confederation. Uh, and in fact, probably the formal change was actually when the Constitution was adopted in 1789, replacing the Articles of Confederation. And then, of course... Uh, a bunch of states said, you know what, it's time for, I'm going to call it Sexit, which is the southern <laughs> exit. And they said, we're out of here. You know, we want slaves and such. And the North said, no. And they said, what are you going to do about it? And the North said, seriously, don't try us. And they said, okay, we're trying you. And then y'all know how that went. So Texas is thinking about it. Um, and it's a, it's a different age now, right? It's one where, whole, you know, burning down Atlanta is probably not something that would happen if Texas were to vote to leave. Now, that said, the United States might also just ignore them and say, no, too bad. And then is there an armed insurrection? Probably this is going nowhere, right? It's probably not anything close to the majority of Texans that want to leave. And they're probably not going to vote to leave the United States. So don't get too excited about that. We might call it a wedge issue right now, just something that gets both sides really pumped up. And uh, But yeah, there's some noise about it. 
kind of all over the Western world about, hey, if they can leave, so can I. And it's going to create some uncertainty going forward. Right. So this wraps up our very quick review of Brexit, Brexit 2. I hope you've enjoyed it. I would like to make a small request. It was my birthday earlier this week. So we would be very appreciative if you would happen to go on iTunes and give Reconsider a review. The more reviews we get, the more chance we have to get our message out to more folks and encourage even more people to reconsider. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at ReconsiderPod and at Facebook at ReconsiderPod. And as Eric mentioned, you can get in touch with both of us, Eric, E-R-I-K, at Reconsider Media, or Xander, X-A-N-D-E-R, at Reconsider Media, if... Dot com. Uh, at ReconsiderMedia.com, right. If you want to send any suggestions our way, provide any feedback, or offer any ideas for shows, because ultimately, uh, we make this for you, and we want to... Wait, we do? We... Yeah! Yeah! Oh, nobody told me. Customer's always right, Eric. Oh. And we okay. want the customer to be happy, and right now, the customer is you, even though it's free, because it's just that great of a value. So with that said, remember, don't let the pundits think for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Andrew signing off. Cheerio, friends. This is Eric signing off. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.